the thing that makes me aware of this mask of invincibility was sort of solidified when he said to me, I didn't really think you needed anything. Like, I didn't think you needed me like that. And when he said that, my heart kind of dropped. And I was like, oh, so I've done this for a long time, like coming off as being needless. Hello, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Each week, my guests and I share our vulnerable behind-the-scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of our expectations, and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity and a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. Hello, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. I am your host, Bianca Hughes. And this is episode 41 of the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your time. As always, if you are coming back and if you're new, welcome, welcome, welcome. Today, I have a guest on the podcast and I am so happy to have a guest sharing his story. A few weeks ago, I should should I say months ago, I shared my story of gentle herpes. And now I actually have a guy. And I think this is really, really cool um, that we're having this conversation and that he is coming out and sharing his story. My guest today is Courtney Brain. He is the founder of Something Positive for Positive People. He received his positive gentle herpes diagnosis in 2012. But who knows how long it was before he saw his first symptom. He doesn't know how he got it and his recent sexual partners said that they did not have herpes. For almost five years, he was challenged with what he thought about living with herpes and his actual experiences of living with herpes. As he began to disclose to new partners and close friends, he realized what he thought was simply not true. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So hello, Courtney, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on here. I am so excited about this conversation. So my favorite and always my first question is, what does authenticity mean to you? It means realness. I think historically throughout my life, I've had sort of a value structure that's been centered around groups and communities that I've been a part of. And here I am now at 31 years old, having defined those for myself. And those values are evolution, peace, and I forgot what the third one was. Yeah, I, that was going good, right? <laughs> no, because uh, I, I keep having to say the right things because they've grown from growth, uh, understanding, and freedom. And so, oh, freedom became liberation. So like over time, these three core values of mine have evolved. And then transparency and consistency are creeping their way in there. Mm. So essentially, there's five now. And that's that's for me being authentic when I am in alignment with those values that I've tied my identity to. Yeah, I love that. I love the alignment piece. And the values. 
I always do these exercises with clients about values and then when they see their values and then how they're living, they're like, uh, these don't match up. And so it's always interesting how they respond to that. So yeah, I love that. Have you always been authentic? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> um, and I mean, even now with awareness that, with awareness of what my authenticity looks like and what my values are, I still catch myself not being authentic, not being transparent, not being someone who values peace and evolution, you know? So no. <laughs> okay. I thank you for that answer. Um, would you say that you wore a mask before and or even now sometimes? And if so, what would you call that mask? That w- mask would be called... Uh, What's a cool name for invincibility? <laughs> I think that would be it. I recently had a conversation with my dad. I've grown up, I lived with my mom. My mom and dad had never been together, but they always lived close. So I would see my dad on weekends and I grew up living with my mom. And so I recently got a therapist a little over three months ago. Mm. And we got into different aspects of my family. And one day I was writing about something that kept coming up for me and it was a pattern. And this pattern was about me just not getting excited or keeping myself from getting excited about things because the narrative was, if I get excited, then I'll be disappointed. And this just kind of links back to like, if my dad didn't pick me up for the weekend or if he said we were going to do something and he didn't do it. So I thought back from the earliest time that it happened to the most recent time that it happened. And the most recent time that it happened was when I was 30, yeah, 30 or 31 years old. So I was writing. I was like, why is it that when I get so excited, or um, I immediately expect disappointment? And so as I was writing, and this ended up being a five-page uh, letter to my dad, while the intention was originally to just journal. And when I noticed that the language started to shift from I, me, to you, it's like, oh, I'm talking to him. So what I did was I recorded it in an audio message because he went on sit and read five pages. <laughs> so I recorded it and then I, I had sent it to him and we talked about it. It's going to be an ongoing conversation, of course, because there was mm-hmm. so much in there. It was about a nine minute recording. But the thing that makes me aware of this mask of invincibility was sort of solidified when he said to me, I didn't really think you needed anything. Like, I didn't think you needed me like that. And when he said that, my heart kind of dropped. And I was like, oh, so I've done this for a long time, like coming off as being needless, you know, like I don't need anything. I don't need people. It's nice to have people. I'm terrible about accepting help. I'm terrible about asking for what it is that I want especially when I know I can go do whatever I have to do in order to get it. And it may be the more challenging thing to do over asking for help, but there's a whole different conversation that we need to have about my fear of rejection there in order to get to that point. Wow. That's so powerful. Shout out to therapist. <laughs> you know, we be making people do this work and we're like, do it. It's so good. And they're like, oh, I finally did it. And I realized what you told me to do it. But That is so powerful. And I'm glad that your dad was responsive and you were also able to get that fact of, man, I act like I don't need people. But I guess you realize you really do. I guess. I mean, I'm still (laughs) still working through that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, I ain't going to sit up here and say like, 
since the realization not much has changed, I recognize it, but mm-hmm. it's still tough for me to um to ask for what I want. Even though, you know, I'm working on doing it with little things like, hey, pass the mm-hmm. saw or do you have any pen? Just mm. asking people uh, for things and then opening up a little bit more myself and welcoming people in so that they can sort of like see some of the things that I may hide with my invincibility or the appearance of me not needing anything. Okay. So how did that, because one of the reasons why I want you on here is to talk about your own personal journey and diagnosis of gentle herpes. How did that integrate? All right. So um, I'm on the eighth year. I'm pretty sure my eight year herpiversary, as some people <laughs> call it, is approaching over the course of like the next week or two. Okay. I've not really thought about it. Like around August <laughs> was when I was diagnosed eight years ago. And I don't want to give credit to my herpes diagnosis. Mm. I will give credit to the experiences that came afterwards for highlighting to me my own insecurities or uh, my perceived invulnerability and the problem that I have with rejection. So I think what that did for me was uh, sort of highlighted. It, it highlighted something that was already there in an ongoing process. Like on a day-to-day basis, I'd find myself in situations where this fear of rejection would constantly surface itself. And I know that it wouldn't have been so on the surface had it not been for the experiences that came after my herpes diagnosis. My herpes diagnosis sucked ass, of course. But uh, the thing was, when I was diagnosed, I think that my reaction, because I had gotten tested for herpes before I tested positive. So I had a little bit of a Care and I was able to do my own research and understanding and things. So I think that might have softened the cushion a bit. And when I was tested, I did notice that on the sheet of paper that they gave me, it said, if you are over this amount, then you're positive. You're over a certain amount of antibodies. So I think that number needed to be 1.0 or greater. If you're under that amount, then you test negative. And what I did notice was that there was a presence of the virus of the antibodies in my system. So the number might have been like 0.8.9 or something like that, which is just under positive. So I don't know if it was repeat exposure that put me over the edge or if it were just the duration of time that I had it that put me over the edge. So I don't know. I probably never will know until I'm able to speak with someone who can answer that question. But after my diagnosis, I was originally just like, oh, man, who who else did I give this to? Because it was more so you know, an embarrassing moment because it's like, ah, I had herpes and didn't know it and gave it to people. So when I contacted Mm. the most recent partners I had been with, everyone said they didn't have it. So at that point, it was just like, all right, well, got to look at me. (laughs) And uh, that, I think that closure of knowing, oh, good, no one got it from me. I can live my life, you know, knowing at least that, that I didn't do this to someone else. That's big freedom. But then how did you deal with things going forward as now thinking that, wait a minute, I didn't give it to anyone else, but I'm going to have to tell people. Oh, yeah. Um, So one thing I appreciate about your podcast episode that you did um, with your friend and you shared your story was that 
you shared that you didn't disclose right away sometimes Mm -hmm. and that you did afterwards. So I remember um, the first new person that I had slept with, uh, I didn't tell her right away. I knew I had it and I took the precautions. I wore a condom. um, And I I don't know how one to 10, how authentic can we get here? (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) All right. All right. So uh, this was the first time I had had sex as my diagnosis and, you know, not telling her, I was just like kind of justifying it in my head of, all right, I'm wearing a condom. But like the sex wasn't all that great because I couldn't stay all the way hard because I was just kind of guilt tripping about this thing. So it was afterwards, um, I ended up telling her probably within before we saw each other again, I told her that I had herpes and she was like, okay, well, I know someone with it, someone close to me. Um, and we'll just take the precautions. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so that was uh, that was one of my first experiences and well, not disclosing for sure, but um, having to retroactively disclose. And it wasn't the last time that it happened. But before I started to um, do the podcast, I had to follow up with a few people to just make sure that I let them know and check in with them because I was going to be doing this. Uh, mm. What did you, what made you make the switch? Cause I did talk about me and when I decided to tell people up front before engaging in any sexual activity, oh. what made the switch for you? So, <laughs> so I have this thing where any sex tape that I make or anything leaks, <laughs> I want to be proud of it. Right. <laughs> so I can't be out here, you know, have limp, having sex. And oh God, having so anyone be able to say, that I, pre- I I didn't do what I was supposed to do. <laughs> and so it was more of like a, uh, it was a blow to my ego, I would say at that point in time where it was like, okay, I understand now that this feeling of guilt can affect my body. And in this particular fashion, it was you know, my penis not being able to stay erect because I'm in my head and guilt tripping and thinking about this. And so at that point, it was like, okay, I got to tell everybody. <laughs> and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's what it became for me. And just making sure that people knew up front, that they knew that I'm fine, I'm dealing with it. Like, I don't, I happen to be one of the lucky ones who don't get outbreaks. And part of me thinks that it's because of like all of the additional stressors out there that supersede what herpes <laughs> brings into <laughs> my life. Like my body's been ready for this for a long time. This ain't nothing. Mm, mm. Well, that's good that you don't get as many outbreaks. That's a, that's great. What about, so you are a black man <laughs> and um, I don't I'm think glad you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have met any black men with herpes. No, my conversations have been more with females and to be honest with you. And so you talk to a lot of other people as well, especially on your podcast and in the groups and in in your organization. How does it differ or does it differ as a black man for that experience with genital herpes? And it could be from yours and then just the conversations as well that you have been having. There are so many things that I want to say here to answer this question because it's it's very multifaceted on my podcast something positive for positive people i've interviewed primarily not all the way straight white women i would say out of the 150 plus podcast episodes 
that I've recorded over the last three years, maybe 11 have been with men. Mm. Um, I can say that I've interviewed two black men and probably 10 black women, I can say. Uh, something that you said earlier, you said you didn't know any black men with herpes, I believe was what you said. Um, well, I haven't who have come out and said it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Cause I was going to say, um, uh, like there was a statistic that I saw that one in two black women, and this was a study that's happening at Ball State University that one in two black women have genital herpes. And it's like, well, where are they getting it from? <laughs> yeah. It's not like men representation at all. Um, so to answer your question, my experience as a black man with genital herpes. So I don't have a role model in dealing with this. Magic Johnson has AIDS. Usher's allegations about having herpes are to me allegations until he comes out and says, hey, I have herpes. So I don't know. I don't know how I was supposed to deal with this at that point in time, because telling people the example that I had was how the media, how black people just roasted Usher and just kind of like were like so mean and discouraging about it and terrible. And then um, I had to convince myself that, okay, well, one, we don't know if this is true. And two, like their response is valid in the event that he's transmitting or he's having sex with people and not disclosing, if that's the case. So when I Google genital HSV or people with herpes, I don't see black people. Well, at that point in time, I didn't see anyone who looked like me, anyone with shared similar experiences. So like being in that space, I think there were five years. Yeah, it was five years that I navigated this just solo on my own. Like I tried to stay close to relationships that I had, not like definitely gone back to people who it was easy to it was easy to be with because I didn't have to worry about having that conversation. And so I would stay in these relationships for the comfort. And when they finally just didn't work anymore, I had to do something different. And for me, that something different was uh, getting on one of the online dating sites for people who are living with HSV. And when I got on there, yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. <laughs> when I found that. Uh, That's interesting. When I, didn't I know. found that. <laughs> I think when I found that, though, I think what happened was um, I was given the freedom from my own insecurity around HSV, because with that being what I perceived as my only main insecurity, I was free to just be myself. And in being myself, I was very social in the chat rooms. I got invited to different support groups. I've been, I've been flown places. Oh, I've flown <laughs> people places. <laughs> uh, and this was just like a really good experience for me to be able to see myself Aside from herpes, yes, everyone's here for herpes, but we know that there's no reason to, you know, Mm -hmm. have a pity party or really talk about it or anything like jokes were made, all kinds of stuff. And it was just like a safe space where there was stigma was present, but the stigma from the perspective of shame wasn't there. Right. Mm -hmm. So in that space, I, I sort of found myself, I grew into myself. And then when I would not be in that space, like, let's say I've been around my friends who've known me half my life. I wasn't that same person. I, I went back to the, these are the thoughts in the back of my head. 
are they going to find out? What would they think of me if I if they knew that I had herpes? Would they not want me around their kids? Would they not want to be around me? Would I have to bring my own utensils to the cookout? Like, how is this going to work? And people would, you know, just like, I, it wasn't people. It was me. I was so in my head about it. And then I, I just finally asked a question. It was, okay, do I like myself more here online? than I do here in person with my friends. Because online, these are all strangers. These are people who don't know me. So I'm free to be myself. Why can't I be that person that I like around the people who I know and like already, who love me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, there, was, there were actually a few things that influenced this decision, but one of which was um, with a couple of friends that I disclosed to. And the way that I disclosed, uh, one of my, my best friends, he uh, had twins on the way. And he was like, man, I got twins on the way we're playing video games and we're talking on the headset. And I was like, well, at least it ain't herpes. And his response, his response was that he knew someone uh, who had it. And eventually, like, we ended up meeting and we had a relationship for a bit. So that was something that was a positive experience. Wow. Another one was, uh, this was probably another big one for me, was um, at 20, I was probably 26 at this point in time. I had disclosed to one of my friend's girlfriends and I interviewed her on something positive for positive people as well to talk about that. Because when I, she was always like, you, you're in love with your ex. Whenever we go out, you won't talk to women and blah, blah, blah. I was like, listen, we're drinking. I was like, Hey, listen, I'm tired of y'all saying that shit. The reason I'm not, you know, actively dating or like trying to pursue people whenever we go out is because I don't want to have to tell anybody that I have herpes. And she, she had this sort of like her eyes got big and then she came to and was like, well, herpes like, Oh, okay. Well that makes sense. But doesn't everyone have it? It was just very comforting Mm -hmm. to see Mm -hmm. her response the way that it was because I've had negative experiences disclosing. I think that at some point everyone gets one and that sort of sets the baseline for what you expect in terms of negative feedback about your disclosure. And so for me, I think my first and worst disclosure was uh, being ghosted. So they kind of put this narrative there that if I disclose, people are going to run away. Mm. Wow. Rejection again. There you go. I think that's really big amongst men more than men care to share and talk about that rejection piece you know not going up to women because you don't know what they're going to say or you know things like that but just in general even without herpes there's rejection or fear of rejection amongst men more than men care to say um, that I have noticed I guess I get also an insight because I am a therapist. So I do get a bit more of an insight than some people um, into that. And the other thing that I'm hearing you say is black people in general don't really talk about it. Because if if you have predominantly white people, which I think we kind of mentioned or talked about before we go on here was, you know, let's keep it in the closet. Let's don't tell everyone your business and things like that. And that mentality and then comes in the shame of, well, you're a slut for a woman. And then for a man, it's like there's so much push around your your penis being your identity. And then when you have herpes, it's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the big thing there is that this is, in fact, a sexual trauma. An STI diagnosis mm-hmm. is a sexual trauma. And for many of us, we 
have our identity so interconnected with our sexuality that now that this STD comes in, it comes in like a meteor and just completely shatters it. And we have to rediscover ourselves outside mm-hmm. of just our genitals, outside of our sexuality, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. who are we as humans? What else do we have to offer? Mm-hmm. There was something that you mentioned earlier I wanted to also add to was, yeah, when you Google people with herpes, you don't see the face of Black people, especially men. And what I find with men is that there, I mean, I'm a great example of this invincibility and avoidance. Like I started an entire podcast that facilitates the healing of other people. And my therapist and I talked about this, about me not having done it for myself. While, you know, I disagree with him there because to me, like healing isn't a, I heal you. And then you go on about your business and I just, I'm able to continue doing that. Like it's an energy field, like it's a force. And so healing is taking place here despite me interviewing someone and they feel good or despite someone coming in and listening to the interview and then they feel good. Or um, even with me, like hosting the interview, like doing this, providing this service is a healing experience for me Mm. as well. So Mm Yeah, I wanted to just add that mm. there. I could see that because we have this thing called live transference and counter transference. And so counter transference is when the, a client says something and the therapist is impacted. And so when counter transference occurs, and I've had that a few times, it signals to me, oh, I need to pay attention to that. There's something I need to work through in that area. So I could see how doing the interviews could be healing because you're hearing these people and they say something that maybe you're struggling with and they give you some sort of um, advice or experience or how they work through it. And you're like, man, I was just thinking, like that happens sometimes. Like I'll be thinking something and the client says something. I was like, yeah, there's the answer. And so I could totally see how that could be, that could be healing for sure, for sure. And There's power, there's more power to me. I don't do this as often, but I want to get back into it. There's more power in group therapy to me than individual. Um, Oh, yeah. So um, one of the things that we've done or started doing as something positive for positive people is facilitating these panel discussions at some of uh, like the herpes support groups that are more social than anything else. And uh, the most recent one we did was called Something Negative for Positive People. And what we did was just have the room full of people. And I gave everyone a pen and a piece of paper. If they wanted to, they can just write down a short story of a negative experience that they've had since their diagnosis. And what I do is just, you know, read it out loud, leave off names and things like that. And just um, read through and ask the room you know, what the lesson is there. Like, what, what does everybody think about this experience? What do they think of this story? Like, what feelings come up? And then take away the lesson from that loss, so to speak, because that's what people feel like. They feel like rejections or losses. They feel like um, different situations that they found themselves in are significantly more negative than they actually are. And to me, a lot of this stuff was gold because even the people who were in the audience were catching things that uh, I missed. And so when we've got all these different perspectives in a room and different sets of experiences, we are able to hear the same story and pull a different nugget out based on what we've experienced. So that to me was a really powerful exercise. And it's something that I think everyone can benefit from uh, being able to put words to the negative experience and attach the feeling to it and 
feel it and then um, be able to take whatever it is that they need from it. I think that the only negative experiences that we have are the ones that haven't taught us anything that we've not gotten any use out of. So I like that. That's good. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love the group. I love group. It's hard to get people into a group, but once they get in there, they're like, oh my God, this is like my life. And I'm like, yeah. You talk a bit about this and, um, you know, I've mentioned it myself, but what does it mean for you to be more than your diagnosis? It means diagnosis aside mm-hmm. and everything that you attach that diagnosis to, including your sexuality, who are you without that? And then you can begin to see herpes for everything that it's seeming to impact. And you can separate herpes from those things. And once you can sort of see those pieces of you that this diagnosis is now, quote, shattered, you can sort of put back together the the pieces and see yourself without herpes. And ultimately, what you find is that uh, I, I view people where, as mirrors to one another. And I feel like the more clear a person's mirror is or a person is, how transparent they are, how vulnerable or authentic they can be, they have a clear mirror and they're able to reflect back all of the person that comes into contact with them. And that person may or may not like what they see. um, And it can be either really intimidating for them to see all of themselves in the presence of, you know, a clear mirror. Or they can be drawn to it and want to, you know, they may notice aspects that they don't like and or they may notice smudges on their mirror. And they've now been aware of those smudges and are so willing to move forward and like clear them up and allow for themselves to be more authentic, more vulnerable um, and just transparent with people and go off and kind of have that same impact that the person with the clear mirror had on them. And so when we're able to uh hold on what's what was the question again (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what does it mean to be more than your diet all right i appreciate it yeah yeah thank you so being more than your diagnosis means being willing to look at all of yourself with your diagnosis but i think you have to do it in steps so when you look at yourself despite herpes you see who you are and you see the weight of the character traits that you have, the weight of uh, your essence, your being, your values, um, who you are in the world. And then you can be like, oh, I'm still all of these things. I just also have herpes. Mm. And so being more than your diagnosis means giving less weight to the herpes diagnosis than you do all of these other pieces Mm. of yourself. Mm. What are some of the things that you have discovered about yourself so far that have kind of one blew your mind and two been outside of the stereotypes of like manhood or being a man? (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) Uh, Being really honest here. I have, uh, I get thanked a lot for hosting the podcast and the nonprofit helping get people support to navigate stigma, regardless of uh, support groups or information or community. And so I think that I struggle with accepting the thank yous, accepting the praise, 
uh, accepting compliments because I want to allow myself to really stay humble here because I think that it is really easy to get a big head or to get to a point where it's like, oh yeah, I'm like God to these people, you know? Mm. And I really don't want that to happen. And I kind of, I feel like there's a sense of arousal that comes from it. And I don't mean arousal in like a sexual way, but just like a sensation in the body of like, ah, yeah, it's good. Like maybe it's mm-hmm. a dopamine hit or serotonin. <laughs> the dopamine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, that's been something that's come up. Like I, I've tried to, um, I think that I, I've met my ego and I have to keep that in check. But what I'm learning to do more so is to integrate it into who I want to be because there are things that come from the ego that are useful, like competitiveness. That's been something that I've tried to repress for a while. But from being competitive, you also learn how to work with other people in order to accomplish a mutual goal. And when you have that competitiveness, you're able to do more than you probably would have if it wasn't competitive. So like, I don't see myself as having competition necessarily in this space of what it is that I do, but I am in competition with myself, like who I Mm. know myself to be or who I know I want to be versus uh, who I think I am. You know, there's a a conflict there and it's an ongoing conflict. Um, I'm competitive with myself in the sense of wanting to integrate these two personalities that I have you know there's the online persona and then there's the right here persona (laughs) of uh, us having this genuine conversation about Courtney and I feel like once these two were able to really come together like I get to just be I get to just be me and be free and be present and living in the moment um but there's just that what I one of the things that's been brought to surface throughout this journey is just that inner conflict constantly. And an example that I can give is that mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was diagnosed with chlamydia. And I talked about this on the podcast because we hear from people who have had chlamydia, like the way that they say it is, oh, yeah, I had chlamydia one time a long time ago, but I got treated. I was cured. And it was so long ago. Like there's a super emphasis on how long ago it was. So for me, it was important to talk through this, talk through this about the experiences, the symptoms, the experience with the care providers and the experiences of having to disclose to my most recent partners and make sure that they were checked and then going through the treatment process. And when I first got diagnosed, this H on my chest shit, this something positive for positive people shit all went out the window. (laughs) I was like, man, what the, you know, and I had my feelings about it. And then I was able to, all right, Courtney, it's chlamydia, it's treatable, it's curable. You know, the symptoms were mild. Um, you didn't know, they didn't know. We were able to get this treated and we are able to have our communication and then move forward. So that would be an example there of when Courtney and H on my chest, which is my Instagram mm. handle, bump heads. And mm. I think that having them integrated, it would have been more of a... Uh, more of like a, a different feeling because I know, I, I know what I know and then what I think are two different things. So I know that chlamydia is common. I know that it is treatable and curable. I know that you can miss the symptoms. I know these things, but I think, oh my God, this, you know, this person would, would have, and you have these feelings about where it might've came from or how it happened and you create stories. But 
being able to integrate those two, it would have just been a much more peaceful, evolved, liberating process. <laughs> see, how, see how I brought it you back? You put in your values. <laughs> <laughs> you bring those values in. That's so good. So would you say that is the piece about manhood that you're discovering that's different about you, would you say? That's dealing with emotions, feeling yeah. emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, this the whole stereotypical. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I don't have examples of men being emotionally healthy or healthy in an emotional way. I would say outside of like, uh, like the LGBT community, uh, mm-hmm. the men there seem to be more in touch with their femininity. And I think people link feminine to gender or they link it to Mm. uh females and we all have these aspects to ourselves the masculine and the feminine and so it's really helped me tap into the feminine in a way that you know i the word toxic uh, masculinity has been um something that i've seen a lot lately and i'm like well why are we calling this uh like why why is it toxic masculinity and it's not just like a it, it seems to be like just an absence of femininity is what it looks like to me. And so to me, like a healthy masculinity is understanding of, oh, you know, these, I am masculine for my feminine. I am feminine for my masculine. And so these uh, being compassionate and caring and empathetic and also being action oriented and being able to, you know, rationalize a plan and put it into action and, uh, achieve some kind of a goal for a compassionate purpose like that to me is what it, it, it's healthy and I think that a lot of men don't understand that I think that a lot of men uh, perhaps are in fact avoidant um, my avoidance just happened to send me in a direction of healing for other people um, mm-hmm. and offhandedly helping me in a way for myself but when we're able to deal with our emotions or feel our emotions even like that to me was a process of unlearning. I had to unlearn that I need to be invincible. And even, you know, to this point at the beginning of the podcast episode, I told you that I still do this. I still struggle with it. And I have to actively go out of my way in order to feel my emotions, in order for me to deal with them, in order for me to heal even. So if men that I've, let me, cis men that I've come into contact with, especially in regard to herpes, they don't want to feel, they want the logical stuff. They want to know, okay, can I pass it on? What's the medication? What do I need to do? And then bam, they're gone. They're, they're out. Like that's all they need to know in order to move forward. Whereas what I've seen with a lot of the women identifying people that I've talked to, interviewed, they are feeling their emotions. How am I going to date again? No one's going to want me. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm ashamed. They're getting that out so that the healing process can begin. Whereas men are not in a sense, like it's, and maybe that's what the healing looks like for some people. But to me, what I'm seeing is a strong sense of avoidance from the emotions, period. And that's Mm -hmm. something that was taught to us. Like we had to Mm -hmm. learn, don't be emotional. Men don't cry. And the only examples that we have, you know, sort of, it it sort of fuels into this negative cycle because as a straight guy, your example of healthy feminine expression might be from uh, other male identifying people in the LGBT community. And, you know, as black 
as a black man, like growing up, you didn't want to be, you didn't want to be that. <laughs> you weren't supposed to be gay or you weren't supposed to like anything other than a woman, right? So when you see that, you already have a negative association and you see people for that rather than people just being good people and having mm-hmm. healthy expressions of emotions. So we, we sort of like block ourselves off from absorbing that and taking that in and having that be an example. Mm, I love that. That was so good. I just want to say that as I'm listening to you and I'm hearing you share that, um, I think the listeners and especially the men, I'm going to get all of my black men, I'm going to share this, but um, to share this episode is because I really want them to hear um, your heart on this and how you're working through it and not that, oh, well, I don't want to listen to him because he's just got it all figured out. You don't. Um, you're figuring it out and you're realizing the tools and the things you need to do to figure this thing out and um, also how the response to your personal response to having genital herpes is being helpful for you. So I think I just want to let you know that what you've been saying has been very powerful and just how you said that you didn't have a mentor. I hope that this voice and this message that you're sharing is being a mentor to all these other people, especially amongst the black community, um, for black men in yeah. particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like yeah. I've navigated this space and really found people who do things that I like. And I've been able to sort of latch on to them in a sense to have sort of an anchor or advisors like my board of directors. These are people who advise me along the way. Now, you know, starting this out (laughs) uh, three years ago, I didn't have that. So I had to kind of create my own image of a role model. And that's what the Instagram persona has become. Um, It's gone from exclusively herpes. And a lot of people don't know this, but when I started Something Positive for Positive People, this was out of being a suicide prevention resource. There were people who were diagnosed with herpes who wanted to kill themselves, and they would openly express that in forums, public uh, support groups, public posts. And so when I saw that enough, I was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, like me saying it's going to be okay or it's not that bad isn't enough because I don't look like these people. So what I did was find people who looked like the people who were talking about suicide ideation. And I asked if they were willing to share their experiences because we don't hear from people who are who the most, most people who have herpes don't have symptoms. Uh, They don't know they have herpes. So why are we not hearing from these people? We're only hearing from the worst case scenarios. Oh, because these people are living their lives and they don't have any reason to be open and public about their status. They have their family, so they're not worried about dating. They're in their career, so they're not worried about getting into herpes education, advocacy, or activism, as some people call it. These are the people that we need to hear from. And I believe that these are the people that I've gotten on the podcast. These are people who just volunteered roughly an hour to two hours of their time to share an experience that they didn't have to. And so there's something healing there to know that this is how the majority of people who are dealing with their diagnosis and being able to put that out on display and put it into a place where people can sort of come and take whatever it is that they need and go. This is, it, it's such a healing thing. Mm, yeah. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, that's, you know, it's like your podcast, my podcast, but it's that thing of letting people know they're not alone. Yeah. Um, 
that's my most important thing because when we realize that we're not alone it gives life and I'm sure that hearing those stories gave life to people who did you know consider taking their lives and and so I thank you for that so um we've come to the end unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I can this is a conversation I I can have (laughs) for a long time I know So um, how can people connect with you um, and how can they, where can they shower you with love? Yeah. So um, I am most active on Instagram. The Instagram handle is the letter H-O-N-M-Y-C-H-E-S-T. And it's just H on my chest, all one word. The H can stand for herpes. It can stand for health. It can stand for hit me up, whatever you want it to. Um, And you can also visit www.spfpp.org. And that's just the abbreviation for something positive for positive people. And you can check out the nonprofit. You can see what we're doing. You can check out the mission statement. Um, What we're doing is getting a network of therapists who are sex positive to come together so that we can provide uh, counseling services to people who are struggling with STI stigma. Um, Believe it or not, a lot of people who are diagnosed with an STI won't tell their therapist this. And I was very surprised to find that out. Um, But it's a matter of like judgment. It's a matter of comfort. And it's a matter of like relatability because people open up to me all day about, you know, their experiences and stuff and be like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. It's like, well, do you have a therapist? Yeah, my therapist is super helpful. Why why haven't you talked to them? Like, you just feel like you can't. And so that's that's the ultimate goal. We're raising money for that purpose to be able to have this network and be able to support other people through their healing of their diagnosis. And while there's not a cure for herpes, there's damn sure a healing process for herpes stigma. And that's what my goal is. My goal isn't to end stigma, destroy it, eradicate it, any of that. My goal is to give people the tools that they need in order to navigate it on their own. And that could look like jumping into activism or uh, herpes education advocacy or sex education, or it could even just be you know, just disclosing to someone or making sure that you disclose on a regular to your partners or you may open up to close friends and family members. So that's what we're working towards. We're providing resources and aspects of community support, education and um, teaching people how to disclose, how to deal with outbreaks and all of that through these experiences that have been shared on the podcast and there are options to leave donations. And if you are unable to do that, then a review of the podcast certainly helps. And thank you so, so much. All of that information will be in the show notes and the podcast is, is good. I've been listening to some of the episodes and everything that you're sharing. So thank you again, Courtney, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Bianca. I am so appreciative of Courtney sharing his story and that conversation. I said it on the podcast and he had some powerful things to share and to say. Please check out his organization and his podcast as he is really supporting those in need and has this amazing community. Like he said, he's been doing his podcast for a few years now and it's just branched branched out into so many good things. So Please check him out. And I hope that this story really inspired you. 
Um, please share the takeaways that you get. Send me an email, send Courtney an email, tag the podcast on Instagram and just share your takeaway. Um, cause he said a lot of great things. And if there are, if you have men listening, anyone with um, genital herpes or just men, and then in particular black men, please share this episode so that they have someone they can kind of relate to and, um, hear their story. So Thank you so much for listening again. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. You can review on the podcast on iTunes, and you can also review it if you're listening on CastBox. So just leave your reviews there. Thank you. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can stay connected by following our Instagram, Authentic Wednesday Podcast, and visiting our website, AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.